Miranda Lane is an organizational leadership psychologist and licensed clinical mental health counselor. She specializes in bringing trauma-informed approaches to both leadership and clinical spaces with an emphasis on use of self. She believes in leveraging learned experience with lived experience and that intimate self-knowledge is the key to successful and meaningful work. You're going to want to stick around for today's episode. I am talking with Miranda Lane. The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to Rat Race Reboot. I'm your host, Laura Noel. And as a certified coach and former 27-year military leader, each week I provide bite-sized mindset pivots that will help you reset your mind, reawaken your spirit, and regain your control. Okay, welcome to another episode of Rat Race Reboot. I'm really excited to be here with you today, and I'm excited for our guest, Miranda Lane. She is also a fellow cohort with me in my organizational development and leadership program at William James College, and she is amazing. So Miranda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm excited to be here with you. Me too. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, It's been quite a wonderful journey with you these past, gosh, three years. Can you believe it? We've been in our side program. (laughs) It's nuts. We only have two semesters left, Laura. (laughs) I know. I know. I I can't wait. But it's been it's been a wonderful journey, and I know, Mm. you know, along the way, as we've been growing as organizational and leadership psychologists, I, I've seen us both evolve and share this knowledge in in new ways. How can we take what we're learning and share it with others so that they can be the best versions of themselves and organizationally, they can be the ve- the best version of themselves living mm-hmm. their espoused values and all of that. But um, so it's, it's really special that we're here together because I think our listeners here are going to get some wonderful nuggets through our conversation. Um, and before we dive in, though, I really would love to hear from your perspective, you know, what led you to this point in your journey and in your career and serving in the way that you aspire to serve and you're currently serving? Sure. Um I'm a pretty big fan of paradox. And so I think that there's uh, maybe several both ands in here. So <laughs> it feels like it's both always been coming. Um, as a kid, I remember just feeling like I wanted to do something important and make a big impact. Um, and at that point, I was thinking like really, really, really big. I had no idea what that meant. I just wanted to help. Um, and I remember very clearly wanting to make it so that nobody had to feel alone. That was a big thread when I was a kid. Uh, So not, I guess, really a surprise that I became a therapist eventually. Uh, But at the same time, it all feels kind of like an accident. And like I've been making it up as I go along uh, and just doing the next step that seems to make sense without really having an idea of where that's going to be. So I tell people all of the time, you know, I still don't really know what I'm what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) I'm making it up as I go along, which feels a little bit silly having gone through a master's and now almost finished a doctorate to just be kind of open to what that looks like. But um, 
I think like a lot of people who got into the who get into the organizational development space, um, I had a couple of really bad bosses, and I worked in, um, you know, I worked as a therapist in the field of mental health for a while, and loved it and have a real passion for um, mental health treatment and reducing mental health stigma, and I experienced firsthand and saw all of my colleagues experiencing just being really destroyed by the system. Um, and I got really tired of it <laughs> and yeah. pretty immediately I get tired of things pretty quickly. So <laughs> I kind of found myself entering a job and just seeing all of these systemic issues that I wanted to fix and trying to fix them and, you know, then moving along and doing it again at the next job and the kind of, yeah, just stumbled into being now a organizational leadership psychologist. Uh, it, and it sounds like though, you know, it evolved, really, mm -hmm. you were on a path, and it just expanded and grew. And I, I talk about this a lot in in our rat race reboot community. And it's this idea of, you know, you don't really have to know the how, you know, you have this vision of, you know, the what, you know, how, how might I serve? What might I do? Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have to know all the steps in order to take massive action and take consistent action. Um, yeah. And I, what the beautiful thing is, is our, uh, about your story is, you know, I don't, I don't know that you stumbled into some of these things. I think that you're where you, you, it's by design, really. It's mm. you I, and I love this idea of use of self. And I want to talk more about that. It's use of self and you following your curiosity, which is one of your values here mm -hmm. um, and trusting. And, you know, I hear it like not even trying to control it necessarily, but doing mm -hmm. the things necessary. And, um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I do feel sometimes, you know, no matter how much um, I, or maybe, it feels like stumbling because I have no idea what's going to happen. Right. And I just, I really am just stuck on the, okay, what's the next step for me? What's the next thing going to be? Um, and even if it doesn't fully make sense, I guess I'm going to do it anyway, even though it's completely terrifying. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think maybe some early life experiences just kind of taught me that I don't have the luxury of knowing, um, not knowing the plan, but if I can, know myself and where I am in any given moment, I can always find the next step. Yeah, there's a, that fear is a very real thing. And I, I think we we were kind of talking about this in one of our um, smaller groups, just even with marketing a book and expanding in my mm -hmm. business, we're both on these paths of, of growth and expansion. And the, the fear is real. You know, you've been doing this work professionally for how many years? Yeah, a few, several now. Yeah. It doesn't feel real. Right. <laughs> when I start counting, I go, oh, oh, okay. That's a higher number than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, that those fears are real. And anytime that, um, anytime that we're growing and expanding and moving into the unknown, we're bound to feel it. And I... I was listening to a, a colleague of mine recently kind of breaking down fear and it got me thinking about the idea of reframing fear and looking at it 
as a positive thing instead of mm. something that should be avoided, just really um, embracing it and using it as a sign to know we're on the right path. We're growing, we're expanding. This is natural. Yes. Yeah. I have with clients before, um, it can be sometimes a hit or miss, but we talk about, um, kind of getting really curious about fear and if it's what that fear's function is. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes what we think of as fear of like being harmed or I don't know, some some fear that feels scary can actually be more anticipatory and opportunistic, which also like physiologically feels the same. So it right. can be very confusing. So changing yeah, how we how we think about fear and what function it serves for us and um, can be really freeing. And I say that not because I feel free of fear in any way. <laughs> um, I think I talk about like trying to free myself of that all the time. You know, I talk about being afraid constantly, um, feeling, and that shows up as insecurity or imposter syndrome or what have you. Um, and then I do it anyway. And that's why courage is my first value, not because I'm good at it, actually, but just because I'm committed to it uh, of that, that, you know, how can I use this or how can I push through it anyway? I, oh my God, I love that. I, you know, we all experience these fears and we do it mm. anyway. And that was really going to be my next question is, you know, when you kind of understand what, what's, what's the purpose of this fear? What is it serving? You know, how do you, so you, you, you do it anyway. So that's, you kind of invoke that, that core value within yourself, courage to, to move it through. Do you have any other strategies that you use or that you've talked through with clients that kind of Mm. help you navigate through it? Oh, um, yeah, probably a bunch. <laughs> the, yeah. the ones that come to mind are um, another one of my values is curiosity. I think that helps take the urgency away from fear. So observing the emotions that I'm having as information about what's going on and not necessarily as something that needs to be acted upon. Um, that was something that I feel like I've only learned relatively recently, but maybe it's been like we had mentioned before, more of like an emergence or an evolution of that truth coming out for me. Um, but yeah, I, th- I use a lot of um, mindfulness in my life and mostly for, you know, practicing just a stance of non-judgment or shooting for neutrality is sometimes what I call it. So not necessarily, I'm not, I, I'm not like an overly optimistic, positive person. I think I, I have positivity and all of those things, but sometimes I think when people think of like moving through fear, they think that you have to automatically be the opposite. And so many times I'm like, you know, we're not looking at being unafraid. We're just looking at finding like a neutral ground from which we can move in really any direction. We don't have to go like I'm feeling something bad. And so now I have to feel something good before I can do anything. Usually that's not how it happens. At least that's not how it's happened for me in the past. If I waited until I only felt the good thing, I don't, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Amen to that. I, you know, I feel like the fear is there 
as to guide us or to maybe let us know where we've been and it's there to teach us. And I think we can't really experience only good all the time without having that, that contrast. So Mm -hmm. I love the idea of, um, and I recently was talking about this of not thinking of fear as bad or good. It just is that neutrality that you talked about. Right. And then I, I liked it very similarly and very recently because I used to, um, I'm still a hard charger and doing all the things, but <laughs> I used to just plow through goal after goal after goal. And I, I wouldn't really feel the growth, which I think that's the most important aspect of reaching mm-hmm. a goal is who you get to become mm-hmm. along the way. So feeling those feelings not trying to cast them off. Oh, I need something good. No, feel it, feel into it, you know, um, and experience it. And maybe it's an old belief. Like sometimes if we just shine the light of awareness on it, it just, it dissipates. Sometimes we need to work through it, but um, all those beliefs came from our past and our past is what made us who we are today. So I, I kind of like to thank those beliefs and fears and, let them go on their way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to be really gentle with them. And like I said, just look at them as just information about what's happening um, in the moment. I think like a visual that I've used a lot is that I'm the mountain and the my emotions are the weather, like, and especially the fear, right? It's the weather, it will pass, I can ride this wave. Um, It has an end. This is a sensation I'm experiencing right now. I can survive the sensation. Um, And then again, I think there are so many things that just require acknowledgement without necessarily, again, having to do anything about it, just like sitting in the isness of what any given moment is, if that doesn't sound too existential for anyone. Um, But it's true. I I think 90%, maybe more of my job as a clinician is helping people feel their feelings without judgment of those feelings, you know, and just acknowledging them um, and sometimes thanking them and yeah, just getting curious about them. I think the more that we get to know those things, the better that we know ourselves and we're the only things that we carry with us everywhere. So (laughs) yeah. Yep. No matter what situation we're in, we bring us to the party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how I kind of came to organizational development. Like why I do this at work because I had some pretty profound um, experiences. It survived a lot of trauma growing up. And I carried that into my first job, my seventh job, my job right after graduate school. Um, I carried all of those things around with me. They don't, you don't leave them at the door as much as I think there, there are people out there who say like, leave your personal things at the door. Yeah, I've that. I just, that's never in my experience been a reality. That's not a thing that we do. We carry it with us all the time. It lives in our bodies. And if our bodies are going to a place then we're bringing that stuff with us. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's how I got, I know I didn't really ever picture myself working with businesses or organizations at all. Um, But then I just thought, you know, we're all pretending like we can just set ourselves aside when we come into these places that we spend the majority of our time. And I think that's actually really harmful. I think it hurts a lot of people. 
And I'd like to make it not so scary. Um, if nothing else, being a clinician and transitioning into you know, leadership psychology and working with organizations, which is not therapy, but the work can be therapeutic for people. Um, it's very similar. It's just, let's not run away from these feelings that we're having. Like they're happening right. and ignoring them is not helping anything. And really we can all tolerate quite a lot. We have an enormous capacity for this. We just have to make space for it. Yeah, that's key. It's like we're experiencing those feelings and emotions anyway. And what we typically, what we're taught to do is to suppress them. And then that causes, you know, I say dis-ease in the body. That's, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I, I can remember being in organizations, you better leave your feelings at the door. Mm -hmm. I, I was um, in a performing group that we would travel all around the world and it, it was very fast paced. Um, sometimes we didn't even have a place to stay that night. We were living out of a bus mm. many nights and um, living in close quarters, you know? And so you didn't, there wasn't a psychologically safe space to, to feel those feels and you had to get on stage and entertain anyway. So it was, everything was suppressed. And I, I can even remember being in the honor guard and thinking to myself, the most respectful thing I can do is to keep it together. Mm -hmm. And, but we didn't know what to do with that afterwards. You know, you, mm -hmm. you gotta be able to function and do your work, but then how do you, experience how do you go back and experience or let out there there just wasn't an outlet for that and mm -hmm. it's and it and it took its toll on people's well-being and their health their physical health because it manifests mm -hmm. somewhere yeah absolutely i think the clinical equivalent for me was even in a in my master's program which was fairly um open and really actually kind of centered a lot of their work on this idea of use of self um, there's still this concept that your therapist or counselor, however you refer to them, like it kind of leaves their stuff at the door. There's a huge stigma in mental health in the field itself for mental health counselors who are dealing with mental health issues themselves. Um, so I think my one of the evolutions of me getting into this work was when, as a clinician, I started speaking about my experiences with PTSD and dissociation and eating disorder and all of these things that were like very terrifying. People were like, you can't be a therapist if you have this stuff coming up. Like that's not okay. And right. then you have all these people, these clinicians who are doing what everyone is doing. They're repressing everything that's going on, but they're also in an office with someone who's in an incredibly vulnerable state and they're trying to help them through that. That is a recipe for disaster. And I figured out pretty quickly that the best thing I could do for my clients, the thing that has made me a successful therapist, um, and particularly with the populations I prefer, which tend to be like teenagers who hate therapy and all therapists they've ever met. They're my favorite people <laughs> because I can be like, I'm going to be in, in this room with you as a real person, as a whole person, and we're not going to pretend otherwise. Um, and I'm going to be completely transparent with you about what this process is like. And I bring that into my organizational development stuff. A lot of times I kind of feel like I'm like, I'm just over here just being me. That's what that's what I'm doing. That's my intervention is I'm just out here being. 
and yeah. allowing that and asking other people to be. And it, sometimes I'm like, is this a little silly? <laughs> this seems a little obvious, but I don't think it is. It's actually it's pretty not. countercultural. It is. It's hard to do. And I remember recently talking with somebody who mentioned another person and how they were engaging in personal development. And then it seemed like their life was a mess in certain areas. And I'm like, that people are developing themselves, seeking counseling, seeking therapy, seeking personal development, because nobody has, nobody has all the answers. And if we keep kind of digging deeper into these layers, it, it's just helping us emerge as the best versions of ourselves. And mm. you're right. It's, it's, um, we have to change the narrative. Um, because, and the other thing that this reminds me of is when people call this soft skills, mm. this mm -hmm. is, there's nothing soft about this. I would argue, um, that this is the most difficult work I've ever done. And it doesn't end. It's a journey. It's, it's, um, there's a difference between doing hard work. We're in the grind and we're versus doing the work where, mm -hmm. and that our natural inclination is to do, to jump into doing, and I got to fix this. And we don't be very well. We don't mm -hmm. practice being. Um, and that's such an, an essential component. Even when we're listening to people, listening is a really difficult skill. And the discomfort we can feel as individuals when somebody else is comfortable in their beingness, we want to go to the rescue and give them the answers. And that's, mm -hmm. that's actually harming the other person. It's disempowering them. Yeah, I will always remember an early boss that I had. It was in my first job after I got my master's degree. I was working doing um, in-home therapy with foster children uh, who had behavioral health challenges. And I was, I took up the mantle of, you know, like reshaping our team, doing all of these things because I just can't help myself. And uh, thankfully, this boss was trying to mentor me through that. And I say trying because I think that I did not always allow her to do that in the most effective <laughs> way. I was not quite ready to receive all of it. Uh, but I did receive one thing, which was she told me after a meeting we had, I think we had um, like clinical rounds. We were just updating on cases and things. And she said, Miranda, do you notice that you keep giving them the answer before you even ask a question? And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what? I didn't, I never thought of it that way. I think I was so, st I was definitely still stuck in doing, I was still like deconstructing what it meant to be instead of do. And um, there's this real performative element to doing of, you know, um, wanting to prove that I, especially for me, I was like, I was wanting to prove that I knew something or prove that I could do it or I don't know, to myself, to other people, whoever. Um, and so once I shifted away from that into more curiosity and sitting in questions, um, it just opened up so many things. Um, and I've been way more effective, but it does make people uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Uh, even my clients, you know, when I sit kind of quietly after for a little bit and we just be with what's been said and I may or may not directly respond to what 
was said or shared um, because they know that I'm like, sometimes we just need to say the thing and have it exist. And that's what we do. Uh, and so all of my work in from workshops to the classes that I teach, to the teams that I've been on, we always start with being, we always start with, you know, just deconstructing this idea of we're here to do something. Or I usually deconstruct ideas around having a specific goal and trying to be a little bit more open, but that's a bias that I have. I have a bias against goals and I'm very open to being told <laughs> to like to different opinions on that. Um, but yeah, all of the, I teach a course on leadership and human services. And um, when I wrote the course, it was really important to me to start with this idea of what is a leader? What, who is a leader? What is leadership? And can we challenge the idea of a leader as being someone with a particular title who does particular tasks and think about it as a person who has, who carries around a particular way of being regardless of what title that they have. Mm -hmm. um, what would that way of being look like and what does it include? And uh, the one that seems to make people maybe even more uncomfortable than feeling their feelings is embodiment and being in their bodies with their feelings. Uh, and like, Oh, I don't need that as a leader. Yes, you you certainly certainly do. It just makes all of the what can feel like the madness um, just kind of settle a little bit and not be quite so noisy. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about embodiment and what that means, and and really kind of embracing that that beingness of leadership. Sure. So um, embodiment. There are so many people who could describe this so much better than I can, because uh, I'm still very much an early student in it. And sometimes I feel like the worst person to talk about it because I deal with dissociation a lot, which means that I can I frequently, as kind of a standard level, uh, feel very disconnected from my body. Mm -hmm. And so um, even my therapist and I joke in a loving way about like Miranda's teaching embodiment. <laughs> this is hilarious. Like the <laughs> irony of a very disembodied person teaching about embodiment. But in some ways, I think that that makes me a very skilled teacher because I know exactly yeah. what that feels like. Right. So yeah, it's about uh, in, in the very basic terms, it's just about being in your body. It's about remembering your body with your mind because so many of us focus on our cognitive life that we kind of divorce ourselves from our physical life. And um, I was just in a class earlier today and we did some writing and I was just writing about how my body is living her life, whether or not I'm conscious of that. And so the kindest thing for me to do and the most, the thing that will bring me like wholeness <laughs> and allow me to move through the world in a way that feels a little bit less chaotic is going to be, reconnecting with her um, instead of feeling like my body is kind of in the background. Like it's, it's the fan I left running and kind of forgot about, you know, <laughs> and, and yeah. so like bringing our focus into it and reconnecting that just like, uh, you know, our use of self is connected to not only our emotional experience, but also our physical experience as person that walks into the room is a body just as much as a mind, just as much as emotions, all of those things. So, um, you know, I think it sounds sometimes a little bit 
woo-woo maybe, or a little bit like, oh, what is this? Um, but in some ways it's really practical. So it's just things like, you know, when I hear something that really resonates with me, a lot of times I'll like put my hand on my heart and just kind mm -hmm. of feel the physical sensation that comes with that. It's usually some kind of warmth or something. Um, I'll just kind of tune into what's going on in my body right now. Again, looking at it as kind of like information yeah. of, of what my experience is and connecting it to what emotion I have. And then a lot of times when I'm sharing with someone or when they've shared with me and I'm responding, I'll narrate that experience, um, which can be really lovely for people, um, especially when it's shared with like love and compassion. Um, I think, I just don't think that we share enough lovely things with each other. And so, yeah. you know, imagine someone just saying, oh, you know, I really liked what you said versus mm -hmm. like when you spoke, you know, I felt this warmth in my chest and it just brought up this feeling of like joy because of the specific thing that you said, right? Those just, yeah, that makes people feel something. It does. Um, a little bit deeper. Oh my gosh. I, I love this because I feel like what you're describing and I talk about this in my coaching too, is praxis and being in alignment. You know, how often do we do things or we say things or we're, we're stuck in confusion and it's because we're not aligned. We're not, there's no congruency here. We're not, we're, yeah, mm -hmm. we're just not aligned. And how do you bring it back? And mm -hmm. it sounds like from what you're describing is simply by noticing, you know, being present. And when you're experiencing things and exchange a moment, like, can you just pause and, and notice where are you feeling this? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, there yeah. was, um, I think it's usually attributed to Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, um, I think, you might have to fact check me on that one, uh, who said something like, between every stimulus and reaction is a pause or is a space. And in that space is freedom mm. uh, or something similar to that. And this yeah. is a paraphrase. Y'all don't quote me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that pause, again, I think so much of my clinical practice is like feeling our feelings, which involves finding that pause. And it sounds simple, but it does not mean that it's easy by any means, because it's so contrary to even kind of biologically how we're built to just like be very efficient and get yep. things. So it can be, takes practice to do that, but it can be that moment of alignment. So I do a lot of work around values as well and why I like have identified the ones that I share so much, because I think that's a really great signpost for is how am I feeling right now? And is that giving me any kind of information about whether how aligned or how not aligned I am in this current moment? Yeah, th those are powerful questions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it, it in the moment, before we're about to do something or mindlessly do something, just even asking, why am I doing this? You mm -hmm. know, what, what am I thinking right now? What am I feeling right now? Mm -hmm. Kind of connecting those two. It's yeah. So powerful. Just, uh, yeah. Whatever curiosity question kind of works for folks mm -hmm. um, that you can repeat to yourself like that. So what's going on right now or what's, what's happening. My, one of my favorites is um, who is this for? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, 
is this for me? Is this for someone else? I usually follow yeah. it up with how. <laughs> they're not very oh, yeah. questions. No. But they're just like, you know, I'm having, if I'm having a big reaction, because I know that I this probably sounds like I'm just like Zen all the time and in this place of enlightenment. <laughs> this is not, this could not be further from, from the truth. It does not take away from the raggediness and the messiness of life and emotions. And, you know, I feel them quite regularly <laughs> in lots of cycles. Um, <laughs> but anytime I do, but it's, I think I'm becoming better at experiencing those cycles without having, without placing a moral judgment on them, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, within that pause. And again, just looking at them as this is what is happening right now. <laughs> and then just thinking to myself, right, who, who is this for in this moment? What's, what's going on and who is it for? Those are powerful. And it reminds me of um, inward and outward mindset and Mm -hmm. a common manifestation of being inward uh, when we're focusing on our own needs and challenges and objectives is what we call at Arbinger being outwardly nice. And Mm. so it's where, and I thought about this with my, um, my husband, think about the the love languages book and mm-hmm. his is like acts of service. Mine's like time or gifts. Mm-hmm. And I kept buying him gifts and he kept saying he doesn't want gifts. He doesn't want things. And, but I kept doing it and then I would be all sulky because he's like, I don't want the thing or he would hold on to it forever and then maybe return it or exchange it. And like, Whoa, wow. My feelings are hurt. I wasn't listening. I wasn't folk. Who was this for? Mm-hmm. The gift was for me, mm-hmm. really, so I could right? feel good about myself. Or when somebody's, I learned this in personal development, and this was a hard one. When somebody's really struggling and just emoting and feeling, I automatically want to give them a hug. But who is that for? Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable. What if I just let them be and ask them what they need or give them just be, be with? Mm-hmm. You know, those are, that's hard to do. It's really hard. And those truths, when they come up, are so bitterly painful. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it's like the skies open up, but there's that little zing of pain, maybe mm-hmm. a big zing of pain that comes with it. When we realize like, oh, I was saying that that was for someone else, but it was for me. And it doesn't, and we don't have to have a moral judgment about that, right? Like it doesn't make you a bad wife that right. you were giving him gifts when he didn't understand that. It just gives us more information. I use this kind of language with my own partner all of the time. Sometimes I'll tell him, actually, we, we've been married for 12 years now, so we have the language. And uh, he is physical touch. He wants to, like, that's how he comforts. And I, that is not my thing. And so there are a lot of times where if I'm having a really big emotion, he will try to get close to me. And sometimes they'll say this in a nice way and other times maybe in a, in a more raggedy way uh, where I'll just say like, you're hugging me for you. Oh, wow. That's what's happening right now. Or that's my experience, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. That's, you know, kind of a cue for him. So it makes me think about sometimes when I talk about use of self and how important like self, self knowledge and awareness and reflection and all those things are, I get a little bit worried that people think I'm just navel gazing or that it's like this selfish, self-centered kind of a practice. Um, But it's really 
not, it's not, we're not doing, we're not learning about ourselves for just for us. You know, it gives us, it allows us to connect with other people with intention because we're like trying to connect in any given moment. And when we're on autopilot, sometimes those connections hit and sometimes they totally miss. And uh, I have found I have more intentional connection now that I know more about myself. And part of the way that I do that is by like one way that I personally do it is by just narrating like that. So I'll say, this is what I think is happening. This is my experience of this right now, where when I'm doing this, it's for this purpose. Um, but I can say those things because I know them. Right. And then it allows people to really respond to like the depth of what's happening in any interaction versus all of the hidden things that we make assumptions about, which really get us into trouble at a certain point. (laughs) Yeah. So what I'm hearing is some of the benefits really of bringing use of self, although it can sound scary or it can sound like, Oh, what are you just contemplating your navel yourself? That's actually not it at all. And even in my example, it enabled me to have, like you're saying that deeper connection with my my husband, for example. So now I'm internalizing, ooh, I was doing this for me and not for him. How can I be better? How can I how can I connect with people in a way that they want to be connected with? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's enables me when I take those pauses to be fully present when I am with other people. So there can be that depth of knowing and connection. Yeah, it's a lot about, I think about like movement in this. So, right, like we're going into ourselves to kind of move outward and notice more of the interconnection that we have with other people. It's a very like westernized way of going about it. There are other ways of doing that. There are a lot of folks who work like kind of in the reverse, like everything starts in the community and kind of comes back into the self. Um, I don't think that either one of those is wrong. (laughs) This is just, you know, my cultural context leads me to do it in this particular way. Um, And I found it to be pretty helpful, but it's all either direction. There's no like arrival point. It's not like I go into myself and then go out and then I'm just there. It's a constant cycle on a give and take and back and forth. And um, I love, I've used the word narrate a lot because I use storytelling a lot to kind Mm -hmm. of describe what's going on um, or what the process is like. Um, and I kind of, I wish that we told each other the stories of our moments more often. I think it would let us yeah, connect quickly and deeply and really yeah. like get to understand each other a little bit better. Yeah. It's like we, we share the things often that were <clears throat> the, the, the superficial kind of things that we're dealing with or, the negative things. I I recently was having uh, lunch with a girlfriend of mine and I, I don't, I was in a relaxed state. I was getting a massage a couple days prior to that. And I just had this realization that, Oh, I'm going to go see her. I don't think I've ever said the words. I'm proud of you. Like she was sharing some stuff at her work and I'm Mm. like, man, you, you are a badass. Right? I am I am so proud of you. And I started to get emotional. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna oh the sun's in my eyes. Okay. But yeah. it was a very real moment. Um yeah. and I realized that, you know, I don't do that enough. 
And, and so we can always be better. Like how often do we walk by somebody who has just a, a beautiful smile? And I don't mean just in a, like a, a superficial way, but it like lights up the room and you can feel their warmth and you just, they just have a great mm-hmm. energy. Like, oh my God, what a, what a wonderful compliment. Mm-hmm. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I, I try, it's a practice that I have, um, been working to increase more and more is just to share those things when they come up. And uh, so in spontaneous interactions, like with your friend, when you just notice like, Hey, I haven't shared this and I really, really want to, or when you see someone, you know, you interact with someone at the grocery store and you just like give them some kind of compliment, right? All of those are spontaneous, but I think the practice can help us deepen the feedback that we give in more structured environments too. Mm -hmm. So, because a lot of times people genuinely want real feedback and insight. And we can, part of how we get to know ourselves is by exploring and investigating how other people experience us because our internal experience of ourselves and people's external experience of us are not always the same. Yeah, Uh, And so whenever we find discrepancy, that's just like, look, we have more information. I use the terms information a lot because I'm kind of a nerd. So whatever like, <laughs> whatever too. word works uh-huh. for people, yeah. you know, but I'm just like, oh, more information about what's going on. Um, but some feedback that I've gotten in the last couple of years has just been around the when I give someone a response or a compliment or a comment, there's I try to have some depth to it. So that it doesn't feel frivolous. Because how many times do we say something to someone and they're like, oh, stop. And they're like physically pushing that away, right? They push their, we're on a podcast. They push their hand up and like swipe it away. (laughs) And talking about embodiment, you're physically moving away from that thing. um, Rather than trying to have maybe some receiving hands of like bringing it closer to you or holding it. Yes, that's a whole other podcast. Oh my gosh, we could do a whole thing on postures. (laughs) Yeah. We could do a whole thing. Um, <laughs> but when you add a little bit of depth because you're considering like the fullness of where you are and what you're go- what you're experiencing in that moment and you share that with another person, it's really hard to push that away. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to count it as like a frivolity or as like you're just saying that just because or, or something, you know, and it gives real connection. And I think that we can do these things. I guess that there are some places where that kind of feedback can happen in a really structured way. And one of those places is at work. Like imagine how different a performance review would go if you were sharing like mindfully self-aware feedback with another person of your experience of them and their work and what they're like when they come into the office, like how much more useful is that than like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like you were absent for so many days or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And you imagine how different that would be, like how much more seen people might feel yeah, going into a powerful. performance review like that, as opposed to this kind of punitive or like administrative review of whatever KPI you forgot you wrote a year ago. <laughs> like, yeah, you know it's I mean? so task related, right? Yeah, and I, it I think is. About when I was supervising um, in the military, like how much more powerful that would have been if I had said, you know, you did, you handled X, Y, and Z in this kind of way. And and as a result, I feel like I I have I I completely trust you. I feel 
so connected with what with the work that you're doing and I can see the the impact that you're you're having just the way you're being with other colleagues and how they come to you like those are extra things that you might not add mm -hmm. in a performance review or even just to a supervisor I mean I wish I could have I wish I could go back in time and say you know yeah I do have feedback for you too I really appreciate you empowering me and giving me the space to do my work. I really feel trusted and valued by you. I've never mm -hmm. said anything like that, but gosh, how much it, that exchange doesn't take very much time and the impact that that can have on that person. And then that relationship too is mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, it really changes everything. And I mean, you mentioned psychological safety earlier. It just builds a sense of psychological safety and belonging, which you're going back to like little kid Miranda, whose like goal in life was to make it so that nobody had to feel alone. And this is part of what it can look like is it's not just that, it, you know, five-year-old Miranda who's thinking that is maybe thinking about it in terms of like having a family and things, but um, there are so many ways to find belonging. So many places work is a really important one where we can do that, especially for like, I always done vocational work, right. Where people feel like it's their purpose to do this thing. Um, and so, yeah, just how much more full and rich and I mean, someone's experience could be on top of things like, Hey, if your people feel like they belong and like, you they're seen and they're safe they're probably going to keep working for you <laughs> yeah there's there is some I don't I think I don't think that's the reason to do those things because it still makes it feel like people are resources to be used but yeah but it is a byproduct of it it is a real byproduct of you know in um in fields where they experience a lot of turnover or something like this, even though it feels like a soft skill, like you had said mm -hmm. earlier, it feels like an extra if we have time, you know, because like so-and-so is really good at that stuff, but I'm not or something. It's yeah. if we could, if we could make time for that, then it could really change some things. And I think that we're responsible for it too. One thing I haven't brought up yet that's important to me about use of self is um, that I feel very responsible um, for understanding myself and my cultural, social positionality, especially as a person who's experienced a lot of privilege and some ident identities that I carry, and also some discrimination and other identities that I carry. And I think like we, as a white woman, it would be harmful for me to go around the world doing things without really understanding who I was and how I got there. Um, because I just think that that's happened, that's happened all throughout history and sometimes in really intentional ways. Um, and for a lot of us, you know, we're coming to terms with the ways that we've perpetuated those things unintentionally, um, but intentional or not, they have been perpetuated. And so I feel like it's a, it's a social responsibility to explore who you are and figure out how, how and why you are, who and where you are, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's an important piece, piece for me. I don't always like that's gets important enough that it feels hard to speak about. Cause I start to get like, I'm like flushing and, you know, I can like speak the, the embodied experience and just like, Ooh, when I take a deep breath, you can get worked up and still like, you can breathe through it and talk. Um, 
But I do think that that's really important. It's not just about, back to maybe my earlier point about, it's not just about like, oh, I want to know myself for me. It's really like we're the vehicle for the work that we do and for the things that we put out into the world. So we're responsible for knowing that in all of its guts and glory. (laughs) It really is. You have to embrace all of it. It's like, who am I in the context of? And how yeah. how is my beingness impacting those around me or those systems around mm-hmm. me? Um, yeah, I, I love this conversation. And I feel like there are a lot of jumping off points that we yes. can leverage in coming conversations. So I would love to have you back on the, the show. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been wonderful. And I'd love to have more of our colleagues on here as well and having these wonderful conversations that need to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just don't know how to start or where to turn. And yeah. by kind of exploring some of these simple things that we talked about that can have massive impact, just, you know, that the idea of use of self and asking ourselves powerful questions and how we're about to engage with a person or a situation. Is it for me? Who is it for? Uh, Mm -hmm. Why do I need this? Those are all powerful questions and learning to embody. And you'd mentioned some simple ways that we could do that. Um, Yeah, I love this. Uh, Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to add before we close? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I could, I could, we could go on forever. Maybe the thing I would end on, because I'm thinking about, we started this conversation from talking about fear. Yeah. And I like kind of carrying other people's wisdoms with me. It helps like it helps me. I don't know, just uh, sometimes they act like mantras. Sometimes they act like questions or things that I can reflect on. And one I, I love and hold close to my heart um, is by Audre Lorde. And um, she wrote, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in service of my vision then it becomes less and less important whether I'm afraid. Mm. And I just feel like that encapsulates our conversation a little bit about finding our strength. And we dare to be powerful enough to go after those things or take the next step toward our vision. The fear, whether or not it's there, it becomes less important. That is beautiful. That sums it up nicely. Um, (laughs) I want to thank you so much for pouring into our audience and having this wonderful conversation with me. And um, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to ask a question or connect with you? Sure. LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to connect with me. So you can send like a connection request, shoot me a direct message. Um, it should be set up to do that. So that's the okay. best and easiest way to find me. Perfect. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Um, And if you have any comments, questions, I would love to hear your feedback. Please leave us a five-star review as well. Head over to ratracereboot.com, whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, leave us that review. And until we meet again, remember everything is created twice, first in your imagination and then in physical form. We'll see you next week. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.